SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yiridamarung, hello, I'm your host Luana Grant and welcome to NITV Radio for this Wednesday the 9th of August. Today also marks the International Day of the World's Indigenous Peoples, with this year's theme Indigenous Youth as Agents of Change for Self-Determination, as we continue to recognise our strength. Coming up on the show today, NITV Radio chats to Priti Bajal, SBS Hindi executive producer who attended the 2023 Agama Festival, which wrapped up on Monday. After a huge four days with record attendees, Pretty chats to NITV Radio about the Gama highlights from the four days, with both sides of the debate on the upcoming referendum on the voice to parliament being discussed. And we also hear from proud Gulpa woman, Natasha Girawiwi, who shares her Gama experience and what it means to her and her family. And we share stories by SBS News, exploring the songs, dances and stories of the Torres Strait Islands, which are being celebrated by children in Victoria. And as a referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament draws closer, discussions about treaty have dominated political debate. Whether or not the referendum on an Indigenous voice succeeds, several states have already embarked on their own treaty process, turning to a close neighbour and friend, New Zealand, for guidance. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, West Australian government announced it's scrapping controversial month-old cultural heritage laws. New documents released revealed Peter Dutton blocked high-priority crime prevention grants for Indigenous communities as Home Affairs Minister in 2019. And a bus driver accused of causing a crash which killed 10 people to face court. The federal opposition is calling on the federal government to ensure WA-style heritage laws are not mirrored at a national level. The West Australian government has announced it's scrapping controversial month-old cultural heritage laws following widespread anger among the farming community. The rules were implemented following the destruction by Rio Tinto of 46,000-year-old George rock shelters in 2020. Premier Roger Cook says a 1972 Act will be restored with some simple and effective amendments. Nationals leader David Littleproud says the government must give its guarantee that similar laws won't be implemented nationally. The admission today by the Western Australian government that they got it wrong, that they didn't listen, they didn't understand the implications of what they were imposing on the people of Western Australia, 
is a big lesson to the Albanese government not to overreach, not to do the same thing, not to impose federal laws that they have in their top drawer, that they're working through as we speak now, to be open and transparent with the Australian people. New documents released by the Federal Labor Party have revealed Peter Dutton blocked high-priority crime prevention grants for Indigenous communities as Home Affairs Minister in 2019. It found the grants were blocked in favour of projects found to have favoured coalition seats, which included protecting expensive bowling greens. The documents expose how the then Home Affairs Minister bypassed six Indigenous grant applications in the third round of the $184 million Safer Communities Fund when he diverted millions of dollars away from projects ranked high priority by his department. Labor MP Marion Scrimger has criticised Mr Dutton. By this process and looking at this grants process, that explains a lot to Aboriginal communities and I will certainly be making sure that my communication with those communities, that I expose just how vulnerable they are under a Liberal government who didn't care for 10 years and continues not to care. The federal government is seeking to strike a deal with state premiers for a plan to strengthen renters' rights. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese will present the policy at National Cabinet next week. It comes as the Greens call for a national rent freeze as tense negotiations over Labor's signature housing investment fund continue. Labor Senator Jane Hume has criticised Mr Albanese. Don't you find it amazing that this is only on the National Cabinet agenda now? I mean, you've got wall-to-wall Labor premiers across mainland Australia. It shouldn't be all that hard for Anthony Albanese to pick up the phone to his mates and say, hey, what are you doing about housing supply? Because we know that the only way to sustainably bring rental prices down is to increase housing supply. A coal to nuclear transition in the regions has been unveiled as a centrepiece of the coalition's 2025 energy policy to secure long-term baseload power, slash emissions and lower electricity bills. It also suggests tapping Australia's world-leading uranium stocks. Coal mining regions in the New South Wales-Hunter Valley and Central and North Queensland are expected to be leading candidates for the future development of small modular reactors. Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill told Channel 7 she doesn't think it's a good idea. Nuclear energy is not the answer for Australia's problems. It is incredibly expensive to build. It is very slow to roll out. Meanwhile, Australia has all of the assets it needs to become a renewables energy powerhouse. We've got the sun, we've got the wind, um, we've got the waves, and we can power Australia's economic future through clean energy, through renewables. A bus driver accused of causing a crash which killed 10 people and left 25 injured in the New South Wales Hunter Valley will face court for the first time today. Brent Andrew Button is facing 43 new charges after being allegedly behind the wheel of the bus carrying wedding guests when it flipped near the Hunter Valley Expressway, resulting in one of the country's worst traffic fatalities. The 58-year-old is expected to appear at Newcastle Local Court, facing a total of 63 charges and is yet to enter any pleas. Mr Button was previously granted bail in June after the court was told it was clear the bus driver was suffering amid concerns about his mental health and well-being in custody.
The community of Corumbara in Victoria's east are continuing to wait for answers about a triple fatality after three people died in a suspected mushroom poisoning and a fourth is fighting for their life. Couple Don and Gail Patterson and her sister Heather Wilkinson died from symptoms consistent with death cap mushroom poisoning after eating lunch in the small Australian town of Leon Gatha. Local Anglican minister Fran Grimms worked closely with Reverend Ian Wilkinson, who is in a critical condition. She told Channel 9 the community is focusing on caring for each other rather than finding answers. Actually, we haven't had a lot of the questions here in the community about, you know, you know how and who and all those things. Mm. But here it's just a terrible tragedy that is here and um, I, I think there's a lot of just wanting to love and care and support and even those community members who are caught up in the police investigations, we just want to um, support them. So at this stage, um, not knowing mm. isn't easy, but the worst part about it is that it has actually happened. Nurses and midwives in New South Wales have agreed to a 4% pay increase, but many maintain the deal does not fairly reflect their contribution to the health system. It comes amid threats of further industrial action by paramedics, who last week effectively rejected an identical offer. Members of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association voted 58% in favour of taking the deal, which confirmed after lengthy negotiations and several heated strikes in recent months. The deal will be back paid to July 1 and will include an additional 0.5% bump to superannuation. It is the biggest pay increase for the group in more than a decade and comes after the government scrapped a 3% cap on public sector pay rises, which will formally end in September. The Great Barrier Reef's first mass bleaching event in what should have been a cooler year has halted coral recovery across two-thirds of the site. The latest coral cover report from the Australian Institute of Marine Science has revealed the full impact of mass coral bleaching in 2022. It was the reef's fourth mass bleaching event in seven years and also the first to occur under a La Nina weather pattern. While the 2022 bleaching was far less deadly than the back-to-back events of 2016 and 2017, it did enough damage to counteract grains and has left the entire reef with slightly less coral cover than a year ago. A survey of businesses conducted by the National Australian Bank recorded a sharp uptick in both the cost for materials and workers. The cost of running a business has jumped, as have the prices firms are charging, suggesting the inflation challenge still has some fight left in it. The July survey captured growing labour costs as new minimum and award wage decisions kicked in on July 1. Purchase costs also grew a little faster in July compared to June, with high energy costs possibly to blame. NASA astronauts have gotten their first look at the spacecraft which will fly them around the moon. The Artemis crew have visited the Kennedy Space Center, where they have spoken for their readiness for the mission. NASA hopes to establish the first long-term presence on the moon and eventually send the first astronauts to Mars. Astronaut Reed Wiseman says the team is getting excited. We made it to Kennedy. This is awesome. But, uh, we're fired up. It's, it's a great day yesterday when you walk around the corner at the Neil Armstrong Operations and Checkout Facility and there's your spacecraft that you're going to ride in. Uh, the ship, as they call it, over there. And uh, we, got, we got to look inside and hang out and it was really quite fascinating. 
And in football, Colombia have defeated Jamaica 1-0 in the Women's World Cup to qualify for the quarterfinals for the first time. The team will next play a knockout match against England in Sydney, which advanced on penalties after a scoreless draw with Nigeria. Meanwhile, the Matildas will face France in their quarterfinals match on Saturday after France cruised into the next round with an easy 4.0 win over Morocco. French coach Herve Renard says the team's 1-0 loss to the Matildas in a pre-competition friendly match isn't an indicator of how the quarterfinal match will go. I will be very honest with you. Uh, I didn't decide of this game, but if it was me, we were not playing against Australia before the competition. But uh, for the next game, we have to be more uh, than 100% because uh, Australia team are very strong and uh, we know it perfectly, but we'll be ready for this uh, very important game. And now for a look at today's weather. Perth, partly cloudy 18, Adelaide, showers developing 20, Melbourne, becoming windy, mostly sunny 19, Hobart, mostly sunny 16, Albury, Wodonga 18, Canberra, partly cloudy 16, Wollongong, sunny 20, Sydney, much the same 20, Newcastle, mostly sunny 21, Brisbane, similar conditions 23, Townsville, mostly sunny 26, Cairns, a shower or two 26, Alice Springs, sunny 27, Darwin, partly cloudy 33, and the Torres Strait Islands, windy, partly cloudy 30. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. And that was King Stingray with their track, Let's Go. King Stingray are a five-piece Yongu surf rock band from northeast Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory, who recently performed at the 2023 Gama Festival. Still to come on the show, we share stories by SBS News as a referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament draws closer. Discussions about treaty have been dominating political debate. And a story exploring the songs, dances and stories of the Torres Strait Islands, which are being celebrated by children in Victoria. But first, the 2023 Agama Festival has wrapped up for another year after a massive four days with a record number of people in attendance. The Gama Festival is Australia's largest Indigenous gathering, a four-day celebration of Yongu life and culture held in remote northeast Arnhem Land and hosted by the Yothu Yindi Foundation. Priti Jabal, SBS Hindi executive producer, caught up with NITV Radio to talk more about her Gama experience and highlights wrap of the four days. NITV Radio's Birchin Tungandami has more. The 2023 edition of the Gama Festival just wrapped up and I'm joined by Priti Jabal, SBS Hindi executive producer, who has uh, been reporting on the event. Welcome to NITV Radio, Priti. 
Thank you, Bertran. It's a pleasure to be here. Many a commentator have dubbed the 2023 edition as uh, the biggest gamma ever. But uh, echoes around the festival that have reached us concur that the main talk at uh, Gama this year was uh, Indigenous voice to Parliament with proponents on both sides taking advantage of the event to actually amplify their view on uh, voice. Can you run us through how uh, these talks evolved? Sure, but Tran, you're right. Uh, the spotlight was on the voice referendum, besides, of course, the tribute to Gama's founder, Yunupingu, who passed away earlier in April this year. But majority of the conversations were around the referendum and the voice, starting with the keynote address from the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, because he was here on Friday as well as Saturday. He took the opportunity to talk about the voice and to ask people. And I think one of the quotes that he famously used was, if not now, when? And if not us, who? That was more to emphasize the need for action. When he asked the audience present there, how will they vote? It seemed at that point of time that the balance for this specific festival goers seemed to be more tilted towards a yes. However, they're very sure that it was a mixed uh, reaction and there were a lot of people with a no vote as well. Having said that, the Indigenous leaders, for example, the Youth UND Foundation CEO, Denise Padden, the chairman, Java Yunupingu, um, there's veteran actor uh, and you'll know elder Jack Thompson. A lot of them seem to be focused on the yes votes as well. And they were given the platform to speak about it at the keynote address. Um, So that could be the reason. But yes, definitely the amplification of um, the referendum was a huge subject, for sure. Now, though Indigenous Voice to Parliament dominated the talks, the main event, the raison d'etre of uh, Gama is actually celebrating, uh, celebration of Indigenous culture, Yolnu culture more specifically. And over the years, Gama has earned the title of biggest Aboriginal cultural gathering uh, year in, uh, year out. What can you tell us about the celebration of culture at uh, Gama 2023? But Ran, there was a lot to listen, watch and absorb and learn at Gama during these four days. And if I was to use just one word to describe it, then I would say it was immersive because particularly the cultural part of things, because across the Gama grounds, they had showcased traditional art, song, dance and storytelling, as well as uh, sharing of traditional Yolno knowledge systems and customs in a contemporary setting. So there were many highlights at this festival, but the bungal in the evening, which is the dancing, was most popular, especially when festival attendees were also invited to join in with the energetic dancers. So I'm sure there were many memories made in those shared moments. Um, the other highlight or attraction was the Gapan Gallery, where indigenous screens and etchings were displayed outdoors uh, among the beautiful stringy buck trees. And luckily, the weather did not play up, so people could actually appreciate the art in its unique settings. What really got people going was the live music by a variety of indigenous artists, and the music was quite a big part of the festival, and you could hear it constantly in the background. And there's another thing that is quite popular, which was the astronomy session with Ian McLean. And that was 
practically booked out because pe- people queued up to get in to observe the night sky through telescopes. I mean, it's quite an experience to be able to do that here in this part of the world. And there were opportunities to weave baskets, paint, purchase memorabilia, all of it making it a real great cultural sharing. Uh, great events taking place in Nolombo, in the NT, and uh, from Gama, actually, the NT slides into more celebrations of First Nations cultures, including, uh, yeah, because Gama is uh, traditionally shortly followed by um, the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair, Darwin Festival, and... Uh, I think it's great. We are not in Darwin at the moment, but in Nolan Boy. But I'm sure people are gearing up to for another experience, to um, another chance to experience the richness and diversity of uh, Indigenous culture uh, through arts, because... The Darwin Festival, as you rightly said, starts on the 10th of August and goes on to the 27th. So um, I can safely say that uh, the show will go on in the Northern Territory this month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And coming up in the next few days, uh, a whole lineup of flagship events, including the NEMAs, Country Tukutu, uh, the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair, as I just mentioned, uh, just to name a few. Now, pretty before I let you go, anything you'd like to add? But Ron, this year's theme, as you know, was Jambach, which to Yolunu people means a vision of perfection. But did they get it right? Did they get it perfect? That is a question to be asked for sure. And we will surely be bringing back a lot of these stories and many memories through our SPS coverage. So all I have to say is stay tuned and wait for those stories and look them up on our websites and Facebook pages. Yeah, we can't wait to see more of your reports and uh, share with the NITV radio listeners. Priti Jabal, thank you very much for reporting on Kama Festival 2023 for us. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Bertrand. And that was Priti Jabal, SBS Hindi executive producer, chatting to NITV Radio. Still on Gama, NITV Radio also had the opportunity to catch up with Gulpa woman Natasha Girawiwi about her Gama experience celebrating her culture and language. <music> sidelines of Gama 2023, we're joined by uh, a resident of uh, Anemland who's been taking part in uh, the festival to share her experience and thoughts about uh, Gama 2023. Now, Natasha, before we get into our conversation, can you introduce yourself to our listeners uh, in English and in language? Natasha, Gurevi, Kalpo, Maradoli, Olongo. My name is Natasha Guruvi. I am a Galpo, proud Galpo woman. And my, this is, Kolkola is my mother's country. Natasha, how does it feel being part of a Gama Festival uh, 2023? And uh, was this your first uh, Gama Festival ever? No, um, I've actually been coming here like every year. Being here, it's just something that I want to like keep coming and learning something from my elders, from my grandfathers, my grandmothers. And I always want to be a part of Burma. 
And uh, you came to the festival alone or you came uh, with uh, some members of uh, your family and uh, community? I came with my family. Yeah. I, I, I live on Elko Island, but like my grandfather lives here and he works here. So you all came together, celebrate culture. and yeah, celebrate uh, culture and be, participate and be a part of this big event. Yeah. And now that the festival is over, you're going back home or? Go back home. Yeah. Like talk to each other or help each other with stuff like ceremonies, funerals and all that. Yeah. And, uh, to keep the culture going strong. Language is very important uh, in culture. Do you get to perform a ceremony in language? Yes. And can you say a few words uh, in language, uh, maybe a message to the community in language? Like, say something to, like, spread the word to the community. Yeah, spread the word uh, to the community in language. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Can you tell us uh, what you said in English in a few words? I just said thank you for coming to Garma this year and thanks for being a part of this big event. Let's keep this going and show everyone and share our culture and our identity and our culture to everyone so that we can work together and keep this going. Yeah. Thank you very much. And that was NITV Radio's Birch and Tungandami chatting to Natasha Girawiwi. You're listening to NITV Radio. We'll be back with more after the break. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. My dad wrote this song 25 years ago, Treaty. And still, we are waiting for our treaty. Where is our treaty? We want our treaty now. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Up next, a story by SBS News. As a referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament draws closer, discussions about treaty have dominated political debate. Whether or not the referendum for an Indigenous voice succeeds, several states have already embarked on their own treaty process, turning to a close neighbour and friend New Zealand for guidance. Political correspondent Sarah Tomaveska was recently in Wellington and spoke to New Zealand Prime, New Zealand's Minister for Treaty Negotiations, Andrew Little, and Maori Party leader, Debbie Nara Paka. Debbie Narewa Paka, thank you for speaking with SBS. I've heard you and your co-leader talk about pushing for an agenda of constitutional transformation. Mm. What does that mean? 
it means what Aotearoa would have looked like had our natural development not been interfered with, had the Tiriti or Waitangi been honoured. And what it looks like is that we live in harmony, we live with dignity um, side by side. New Zealand's founding document, the Treaty of Waitangi, was signed in 1840. There's an English and Maori version, but the translations are contested, particularly as they relate to Maori sovereignty. In 1975, the Waitangi Tribunal was established to begin the process of addressing historical wrongs by way of settlements between the Crown and tribes or iwis. That includes an apology and cultural and financial redress. How is treaty not being upheld in your view? How the treaty um, is looked at is a finite thing versus a relationship and an enduring relationship that should be continuously growing and forming into the well-being of everyone in Aotearoa. Andrew Little is the minister responsible for Treaty of Waitangi negotiations. Minister Andrew Little, thank you so much for speaking with SBS. It's a pleasure. There's obviously a fair amount of criticism that the Crown has not honoured the treaty particularly well. How are you trying to rectify that? Um, yeah, look, I think that is absolutely true. The Crown's conduct has been pretty appalling, actually, historically. So the process of reconciling that, understanding it, knowing that it's happened, the Crown accepting it and then negotiating redress has, has been an absolutely critical part to um, the Crown restoring its own kind of mana or, or respect or status in New Zealand and it's been a very important process to go through. There's also seven designated Māori seats in New Zealand's Parliament. What difference has having Māori voices in Parliament made for practical outcomes? I think uh, probably in the last couple of decades I think it's it's been had a very powerful effect, and I think um, you know I would I would observe of New Zealand and certainly New Zealand government we are more literate about um, Te Ao Māori and um, uh, Te Kuna Māori, so Māori processes than perhaps we ever have been before. So a much stronger, if not integration, certainly um, an adoption of Māori processes and engagement with Māori on their terms as we put together policy and make decisions. And on behalf of the Australian Labor Party, I commit to the Uluru Statement from the Heart and Paul. The Prime Minister's promise of voice, treaty and truth has become a political sticking point. But state-based treaties are already underway in Queensland, the Northern Territory and Victoria. Andrew Little has met with many of those involved in the process. What do Australians want to know from you about the treaty process? I think they want to know what, what the journey looks like and I think to a large extent what it feels like because it's, 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 it's uneven. There are people who get anxious about it. Um, there are people who <clears throat> think that somehow some greater privilege is being conferred on Indigenous people. It, it, it is not. It's about restoring their place and their standing that they always had before settlers arrived and being respectful of that. And, and where harm has been done, and harm has been done in New Zealand, is actually owning up to that and then seeking to put that right. Australia and New Zealand have very different histories, but as Australia's referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament draws closer, Andrew Little and Debbie Naroa-Packer offered these reflections about New Zealand's own path towards reconciliation. 
people will feel anxious, people will feel uncomfortable, people will be asked to kind of step outside their comfort zone. That's what the process of reconciliation, of national reconciliation, feels like. Um, but it's nothing to fear. It is important to be engaged in the debate. Um, in the end, it's about everybody having their place. That's what the, that's what the result is. Even though the treaty is not honoured to the extent that it should be in Aotearoa, it is the threshold that we aim for. And if you keep your threshold low on how you're going to treat each other, then you know, that, that becomes not aspirational at all. Do you think the rest of the world's watching? Absolutely watching. I mean, the amount of phone calls that we've had and requests for interviews on what we think is an Indigenous people about Australia um, tells me. It tells me that um, people want solutions. They envy that the debate is happening. They envy that there's an opportunity for change. Um, and most importantly, they're not Indigenous. Um, the BBCs are big broadcasters that are asking us these questions. So that tells me that there's a lot of international envy that we're having these discussions and these debates, and that's the opportunity, I think, ahead of us. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Welcome back to NITV Radio. I'm your host, Luana Grant. Songs, dances and stories of the Torres Strait Islands are being celebrated by children in Victoria. Students are part of a choral experience aimed at increasing their understanding of a culture thousands of kilometres away. Around 300 school children from choirs around Victoria performing a traditional Torres Strait song about planting banana palms. The children are part of the Bawat School's chorus. Each year its concerts have a theme. Choir director Stella Savvy says this year it's the identity, culture and history of Torres Strait Islander people. Which is just beautiful because how many kids down this way know a lot about the Torres Strait down in Victoria? So across the state now, all the kids know all this stuff about the Torres Strait that they didn't know before. For artistic leader and cultural advisor Luke Captain, the project is about sharing knowledge. I want really to, to give to Victoria a bit of, 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 of the Torres Strait culture. Like you might not, because there's hardly any of us that live here. And so it's nice to actually see it presented on stage. Torres Strait Islander musicians collaborated with school teachers to get the students' performance ready. 11-year-old Josephine Barnes says along the way she and other participants learnt about people and culture. I've learnt about their language and like their dance moves and how they like tell stories and it's very interesting. I love the concert, it's very fun and I love singing all the songs. The project is especially meaningful to artistic director Deb Lower-Clark. Her 11-year-old daughter, Mercy, is taking part and together they're sharing their Torres Strait's culture. I'm really proud of her 
being able to own that space that she's in. She lives in two worlds, I live in two worlds, and we get to celebrate all of the things that are great about our culture through dance and song, and the most important, which is storying. Storying is all that we are. T1 school and community choirs are taking part, with concerts in Melbourne and Ballarat on August 26 this month. Performances are rich in culture and meaning. And that story was produced by Philippa Carisbrook for SBS News. You're listening to NITV Radio. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. NITV Radio on radio, online and mobile. And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of our stories on our website at sbs.com.au. You can also find us on Facebook. NITV Radio will be back on Friday 1 till 2pm with more stories from right across the country. Today we leave you with a song by the Saltwater Band. I'm your host, Luana Grant, Mandungo. Mm-hmm.